if you have your Bibles. I just got one verse today just to set up where we're going to head, but you'll have to stick with me. We're going to move really quickly today, but by the end of it, I pray that it all ties together. Should be. The 8.30 said it did, so hopefully the 10.30 does. Now look, I told the 8.30 they better step up their game because 10.30 was coming in and 10.30 is hungry. So don't make me a liar. Be hungry. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth. And this is what he says. He says, do you not know that you are a temple of God? Do you not know that you come and look at your neighbor and say that means you that you are the temple of God that each and every one of you are walking talking breathing spirit filled men and women of God housing the very person in the presence of Jesus what a beautiful truth that is what amazing amazing truth that is Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Lord, help us to understand this today. God, help us to receive it, I pray, this morning. And Lord, I bind any any disunity or division or offense I bind that right now loose your perfect unity and peace in this place right now and I thank you for it Jesus we love you we glorify you receive your glory and honor here today as we open up your word in Jesus name and everybody said Amen, amen. Now look at your neighbor, and I want you to tell him before you're seated, clean house. Tell him. Say, clean house. Clean house. Awesome. I know it is good to see all of you excited that you guys have decided to to join us today. But so look, we've been in this series titled House of Miracles. Now look at your neighbor. Say, this will be a house of miracles. Tell him, this will be... A house of, of miracles. And, and look, man, we've, we've been in the series now since the last Sunday in December, and which, which simply means that this has so far been a 15-part series, this, this House of Miracles series. And this entire series is, is hopefully revealing to us that we should be a house of miracles, Hopefully that's what it's, it's, it's revealing, meaning this, that the, that the church as a whole, that the, the body of Christ, that the bride of Christ, that this church should be a house of miracles. Because, because here's, the, here's the truth, as, as we come together and assemble together in honor of his name, as we worship the name that is above every other name, miracles should be breaking out it's so true people should be walking into this place and receiving their miracle 
the lame should be able to come not walking, but leave walking in Jesus' name. The blind should be coming in here not seeing, but leaving seeing in Jesus' name. See, the, the church should be a house of miracles. And look, when those, when those people who you know, have been just completely sideswiped by the enemy, sideswiped by him with any sickness or any disease, they should be able to walk into this place and leave with no sickness and no disease in Jesus' name. That's what the church should be. See, the church should be a place where people come in who are beat up, beat up by depression, beat up by anxiety, beat up by all the cares that this life has thrown at them, but leave built up in the name of Christ. See, listen to me, the church has to start believing. We have to start believing that Jesus really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've got to believe it, not just say it, but actually walk through our lives believing it and receiving it and declaring it, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus isn't just the God of the Bible. He's the God of today. Right now, he's seated by the right hand of the Father with all power and all authority. He has the name the name given by which men must be saved, the name that is above every other name. He's been given all authority in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth, that at his name, every knee has to bow. Every tongue's gotta confess. You know, there's so many people that go to so many different churches, a part of so many different denominations, and they would rather, they would rather believe that what I'm saying is a bunch of hype Instead of believing and seeking in the word of God and seeing the miracle working power of God and then believing it and walking in it. Call me crazy, but I believe the Bible. Call me crazy. I believe that the Bible says if there are any sick among you, bring them before the elders of the church, anoint them with oil and pray for them so that their bodies may be healed. I believe it. Call me crazy, but when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, Verse 19, if two of you agree on anything, you agree on anything, someone shout anything. Man, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. And because Jesus says anything, I, I believe he means anything. Not just certain things, not just some things, not the things that make sense to us. See, a lot of times we love to box God in and think, well, yeah, if God did it before, then I can believe that he'll do it again. No, no, no. He says, anything. So that means anyone could come walking into this place with anything but leave with nothing, nothing hindering their life, plaguing their life. In Jesus' name, this, this place should be a house of miracles and this entire series, right? This is what God has been trying to reveal to us. Revealing how we as a church should be operating in the times that we live in. How we as a church go about operating in the miracle working power of God. See, the Lord wants us to get to the place where miracles are always taking place. Not just every once in a while and it's this Amazing anomaly, like we're like, oh, somebody was healed. No, yeah, yeah, somebody was healed. Yeah, we had church, several people healed. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what happens because when Jesus shows up, miracles follow Jesus. 
And, and, that's the, and that's the truth. I can tell some of you aren't picking up what I'm putting down. So, so let me, <laughs> so let's go to the word of God and see what the Lord says. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, I mean, I mean, is what the Greek word for that is. And you guys have heard me do a Greek word study on this a couple of times. I mean, I mean, meaning there's a finality to what I'm about to say to you. Let it be done. That, that's what truly means. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And even greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my father. The Bible shows us that wherever Jesus went, miracles follow Jesus. And because that's the truth, you take that truth and add it to the truth of what Jesus says there in John 14, that we'll do even greater things than he did. And, and, and you mix them together and add them up. What that e equals is that the church should be constantly and consistently operating in the miracle working power of God, period. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Look at your neighbor, say, this will be a house of miracles. This will be. <laughs> and so this is what we've been talking about over these past 15 weeks. And today, man, we're going to add to it. And, and I'm believing God is going to reveal a whole new aspect of this thing, how we as a church can operate in God's miracle working power on a consistent basis, the way God desires us to operate on a consistent basis. And we're gonna do that with a message titled, Clean House. Come on, say that with me, Clean House. Now look at the neighbor that you like the least and say, don't be dirty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of you enjoyed that way too much. <clears throat> don't be dirty, Clean House. But today I want to spend the rest of our time together, I want to talk to you about what the Lord has been simply talking to me in my own time with him. See, there's, there's this weird theology that has penetrated the church of Jesus Christ. It really has. And, and the reason that I believe it's, it's been able to penetrate the church so easily is because it's like what Paul says. It has a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. Meaning simply this, that, that people build theology as they pull out scripture that will reaffirm their position. But hear me, scripture reaffirms scripture. Sometimes scripture, we have to, we got to relocate our position in order to be in right standing with the scripture. The scripture doesn't change for us. We change for the scriptures. But, but, but here's the thing, right? So, so what we'll have is, is people preaching and teaching this, this idea that God just does, does it all. God will just take care of, of all of it for you. You ain't got to worry nothing about it. You, you don't even got to concern yourself with it. You just need to keep, you just got to keep praying. Just keep praying, and then once you say the prayer, the salvation prayer, one time, bam, all of a sudden, man, God just, 
He takes it all away from you. The way you think has changed. Temptation is no longer there. Man, you just, man, you can just walk smooth sailing. But if by some anomaly that doesn't happen and all of a sudden you are being tempted, they'll, they'll tell you, well, well, just you need to pray more. You, you, gotta, you gotta pray more. Because when God desires for the temptation to be lifted, he'll lift it. He'll take it. Then, then you'll know it's time for you to walk in freedom. And, and a lot of people will read Ephesians chapter two, right? Where it, says, where it says this, for it's by grace through faith that we are saved, not a result of works, lest no man should boast. And they'll focus on that last part, that it's not by works. It's not a result of, of works, which, which listen, it, it's, it's so true, but, but this is dealing with the miracle of salvation. But they'll take that and they'll hone in on it. And they'll be like, Dad, yeah, brother, don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Man, God will, God will take care of it. And if he hasn't, just wait until he does it. Just wait on him to do it for you. The scripture is specifically talking about one aspect of our walk with Jesus, the miracle of salvation, which is where we started this entire series from, the miracle of salvation, which is an incredible miracle, which it is so true. It's not a result of works. There's no way you and I can work hard enough to receive God's forgiveness, to earn God's forgiveness. We can't can't do it. So Jesus did did that for us. But that's just the beginning of our walk with Christ. It's not the end. It's just the, it's just the start. See, we can't just read Ephesians 2 and build an entire theology off of Ephesians 2. And it, then it causes us to push all of the responsibility, our responsibility back onto God. Like, no, God, you, you gotta do it. You know, I run into to people all the time who struggling with life and, and all those different things, and I've been in the same positions they have struggling with the same area, same area of life. And they'll say to me, they'll say, hey, pastor, you know, I'm, I'm praying, I'm still praying, still believing. Jesus is gonna give me freedom. I'm still doing it. One day, Jesus is gonna bring me freedom. As if Jesus is still working on bringing us freedom. Like Jesus is still working on conquering sin. Did you know he said it is finished? He's already did it. Like that, that's, 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 already, that's already done. But this is how we, we are. And I, and I say to them, I say, man, hey, praise God. Keep praying. But what else are you doing? Yeah, keep praying. But, but what else are you? What else are you doing? They'll look at me like I'm a real jerk. But the truth is, I'm just a real person. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I hear you. Pray. Please pray. But, but what else are you what are you doing? And so I was talking to, to God about, about this a few weeks back. Like, Lord, what is this? What, what, is, what is happening within the, in the church and this concept that, that we, just, we just pass everything to you? Like, God, you got to do it all. And it was funny because the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And he said this. He said, when I show up, I do what you can't do. But I won't do what you can do. When I show up, this is the Lord speaking, when I show up, I'll do what you can't do, but I'm not going to do what you can do. I talked about this briefly on Wednesday night, and I want to elaborate on it some more today because God has really revealed a lot of stuff through it. See, we live in a culture where 
people don't want to take accountability for their actions. We live in a time where people don't want to take responsibility for the choices that they make in life, especially when it comes to living for God. Like, oh, I got no responsibility. It's just him. He's just going to do it all. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Not even a little bit. In Judges chapter six is the story of, of Gideon. And, and in this story, what you have is the people of Israel, the people of God have done evil in the sight of God. And because of their sin, now the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east are just decimating them. They're conquering them. They're beating them up. And it says that they would come once a year around harvest season. And they would destroy all the produce in the land. They would take all of Israel's livestock, all the sheep, all the oxen, all the goats, all the donkeys. They would take it all. The Bible says, leaving nothing of sustenance in the land of Israel. Completely wipe out the people of God. And in verse five, we're gonna pick it up. We're just gonna read what the word of God says from verse five, and we'll just read a few verses. It says, for they would come up, and this, again, it's talking about the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people from the east. They would come up with their livestock. So get the picture. They're taking Israel's livestock, but then bringing their livestock to eat all the, the vegetation in the land of Israel. They would come up with their, with their tents. They would come in like locust in number. And both they and their camels were innumerable. And they came in to the land to ruin it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 7 says, Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you. It was I who brought you from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all, all who oppressed you. And I drove them out from you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not obeyed me. But you, look at your neighbor, say you. But you have not obeyed me. So, so, so get the picture of what the text is saying. What, what's, what's, what's coming, what's going on right here in this text? Because you have the people of God living in sin against God. And because of the, the, the way they've chosen to live their life, they're in a really bad place in life. Really bad place. And so they cry out. They cry out to God. Which if you remember last week, we talked about this briefly. That in a crisis, we run to Christ. Why? Well, because he's our very present help in times of struggle. But hear me. It matters how we run to Christ. It matters how we cry out to Christ. That matters. That matters. We can't come to him crying out to him 
with a tone full of entitlement. As if God owes us something. I'll just be real frank. We can't act like brats and expect God to move on our behalf. We can't do it. This is why the psalmist was clear and he wrote this. The Lord will never despise a broken and contrite spirit. He'll never despise that. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's why he says then in verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. He's not talking about someone mourning the loss of their loved one. He's talking about those that mourn over their sin. They're repentive of their sin. They're crying out to him, humble before him because of the sin that they committed. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. All these scriptures telling us and pointing us to this fact that when we come to God, we come lowly before him. When we cry out to God, we cry out in a very humble and broken way. Not with a tone of entitlement as if he owes us. You know, I have, I have kids, right? A lot of you have kids. That's why we got so many down there overrunning us. I think they're gonna take over the place here soon, all the kids. They're gonna come up and say, you know what? We're gonna take the upstairs. You take the downstairs. <laughs> we'll have to obey. <laughs> so I know you guys got a bunch of kids out here. But I've got kids, right? And there's different times when my kids will, will come to me and tell me what I'm going to do for them. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like, they'll come up to me. Hey, hey, dad, I need something to eat. I'm like, okay. Hey, hey dad, dad, huh? I need you to clean these clothes for me. I got this outfit I'm trying to rock. You didn't clean it yet. I need you to do my laundry. Or, hey, dad, hey, my room's a mess. I'm going to need you to take care of that while I'm at school. Go, you know, go take care of that. And listen, here's the thing. Like, I do a lot of these things for them anyway because they're young. You know, now my daughter Isabel, she's 11. She's going to be 12. And so she has to do a little bit more than my five-year-old. Um, but, you know, so I do most of these, these things. But when they come to me acting entitled like I owe them, Man, I put them in check real quick. I don't owe you. I create, I made you. Not that God created, but I made. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but I made you. Like my mom used to say, I brought you into the world. I'll take you out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but look, when they come to me, humble, and they're like, hey, dad, I'm, I'm really hungry. Cool, what do you want to eat? Or hey, dad, you know, I, I was really wanting this outfit, and, and I think it's dirty. Could could we, could we do my lunch? Sure, no problem. Yeah, dad, I'm sorry that my room is a mess and I let it get out of hand. Could you help me though, dad, to get it back under control? Sure, no worries. When they come to me humble, no problem. Let me, let me help you and I'll be happy to do it. And if I know how to give good gifts to my kids when they come to me humbly, how much more will our heavenly father Give us good gifts if we come to him humbly. That's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give to you good gifts if you ask him? See, we've got to come to him in a place of humility, recognizing and saying, Father, forgive me. I have messed this up, royally screwed this one up. Forgive me, now help me to walk through this. Help me to get through it. And when that's our attitude and our request, he is faithful and just to forgive us. 
and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we can't be a people who think that God owes us something more than what he's already done for us. See, the Bible says that we are to make our requests known to God with thanksgiving, not with a tone of entitlement. And here in in Judges chapter six, right, the the people of God, they, they cry out, they cry out to God. And it's like God's response to Israel's request shows us the tone of Israel's request. Because listen, if they would have come to God, repenting before God, God, we are sorry we sinned against you. We're sorry, can you, can you help us get through this? Perhaps his response would have been much different. If they would have cried out in a very humble and broken and contrite way, he would have never despised them. He would have lifted them, lifted them up. If they would have been like, hey man, my choices have led me here. God, help me. I'm sorry, help me. His response would have looked different, but, but, but they didn't do that. Instead, they just wanted God to get them out of the hurt they were experiencing. That's all they wanted. They just wanted God to get them out of the situation that they put themselves in in the first place. Like, Lord, we need you to get us out. Lord, you have to show up for us. Lord, we're waiting for you. And so God responds in kind. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. I've already saved you. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I did that for you. I rescued you and I have given you the promised land. But you, you didn't obey me. Requiring them to take responsibility for the things that they have done. This is what he's doing. Now look, before we start pointing fingers at Israel, how many times have we done this very same thing to God? Where our our choices, our actions, our words have put us into a situation we just can't get out of on our own. How many times have we done it? And we're like, God, God, you got to show up and do something for me. You got to do it. And we're crying out to him just to escape the pain that we're in with no intention of changing the life we live. Just God, get me out of it. Because I don't want to deal with the repercussions. I, I still want to live the way I'm living, but I don't, don't want to deal with the hurt of it. With no real intention to change how we're living. That's a request with the tone of entitlement. That's what it sounds like. And we can't be an entitled people. We have to be a humble people. And when I was reflecting on and reading God's response to the, to the people of God, I seen something, something else in it that crafted the message today. Because remember, he says to them, I brought you out of Egypt. Which by the way, they couldn't do themselves. They couldn't do it themselves. He says, I brought you out of the house of slavery. Again, they couldn't have done that themselves. I rescued you from 40 years in the wilderness and all the obstacles that come against you during that time. I rescued you from that because they couldn't have done it themselves. I gave you the promised land. He had to because they couldn't, they couldn't do it. 
But then you get to the final response. But you, but you didn't obey me, the thing that they could have done. They could have done that themselves by the choices that they made in life. Hear me, when God shows up, he will do what you can't do, but he's not going to do what you can do for you. He's going to make you take responsibility for the things going on in your life. He's gonna make you do that. He's gonna make you clean house. Look at your neighbor, say clean house. Tell him, say clean house. In verse 11 in Judges chapter six, Gideon burst on the scene, right? He burst on the scene. And something that I find so amazing because God is, is so amazing is even though the, the, the people of God disobeyed God and even though they were unfaithful to God, God was still faithful to them because that's how good God is. It's literally amazing. Now, he disciplines them, he rebukes them, trying to teach them through the, the era of their ways, obviously. But he still shows up on behalf of them to help them get through this time. And he does so by calling Gideon to save them. And God sends this angel to Gideon. And this angel says to him, oh, mighty man of valor, God is with you and he will use you to save the people of Israel. This is the message the angel brings to, to Gideon. And what the angel is simply saying is this, that God has anointed you, God will appoint you, God will strengthen you, God will be with you, God will, God will walk the entire thing with you. And then the Lord says to him, after he says all that, after God tells Gideon that through the angel, then the Lord says, but you have to tear down the altar of Baal. I will do what you can't do but you're gonna have to do what you can do. So you are going to have to go tear down the altar of Baal. You're gonna have to go down and cut that Asherah pole down that stands beside the altar of Baal. You have to do that, Gideon. God very simply saying to Gideon, I wanna use you. I wanna perform many great miracles through you, but you've got a clean house. But you have to do what you can do. You'll have to get rid of the gods in your own life. You'll have to get rid of anything and everything that you are allowing to compete against me. This is what God is saying. You've gotta do what you can do and then I'll do what you can't do. And this is what he is telling Gideon. Now, if you keep on reading down through the rest of the story in Judges chapter Six, you just keep on reading down through. What you'll see in that story is that God's wanting to use Gideon in this amazing, mighty way. He wants to use him to take 300 men and win a battle against an army that has so many men they couldn't even count them. They were like locusts, it said, innumerable. You couldn't even get a bead on how many of these soldiers were there, but Gideon has only 300. Hundred men, and God wanted to use him and that small army to defeat that great army. Gideon couldn't have done this without God. He needed God to use the 300. But what he could do was clean his house. What he could do was cut down the Asherah pole. What he could do was destroy the altar of Baal. He had to clean 
house. And so I, I, wonder, I wonder how many things this morning do we have in our own lives? How many things did we walk into the house of God with today? And we need to clean those things out. I wonder, what are the things that are in our lives that we are allowing to compete with our affection and our attention towards the king? That we are allowing to pull our eyes from him, our hearts from him, our love and devotion to him. What are, what are some of those things? And I believe that God is specifically saying to us this morning, clean house. Clean house. I want to use you in great, mighty ways, but you got to cut down that altar of Baal. You got to cut down the Asherah pole. You go do what you can do, and then I'll show up and do what you can't do. Last week in John chapter 11, <clears throat> We talked about the story of Lazarus, some of it. And, and I want to show you, you, you something else. And if, if you remember what I told you, there's so much in that chapter. I, I told you to go read it, and I hope you actually took time to do it because it's rich in there with all kinds of amazing truths of God. But there was something else that God showed me to, to just re, reaffirm what he had been speaking to me. See, if you continue reading the story of Lazarus, what you find is, is that Jesus shows up two days after Lazarus is dead. Not before, after. Not 10 minutes, two days. Two days. He was there two days late, but he didn't leave for four days. But he was two days late after he dies, okay? And when he, when, he, when he shows up there, he's, he's late. And, and so Mary and Martha run out to, to meet him and they fall before him and they say to him, if you would have just been here, if you would have just been here, our brother would still be alive. But Jesus responds back to them in, in quite the way. He responds back, do you believe? He doesn't offer excuses. He doesn't, he doesn't offer them actually any comfort. He says, do you believe? See, they're busy saying, God, I need you to do this for me. If you would have just done what I asked you to do, if you would have just come when I told you to come, our brother would still be alive. And Jesus responds with, do you believe? And right after, he points at them, giving them responsibility to bear in the situation. He then says, where have you buried him? Where have you buried him? And the, and the ladies are like, well, over here. And they take him over there. And so this whole time, Jesus is pointing them, giving them responsibility. Do you believe? Do you believe? Where did you lay him? Where did you bury him? And then he says, you roll away the stone. You roll it away. And after they roll away the stone, Jesus says one time, Lazarus, come forth. He just says it one time, and then the dead man was alive again. 
But first, Jesus had them do everything that they could do. Then he showed up and done what they couldn't do. They couldn't raise Lazarus from the dead, but they could roll away the tomb. They could roll away the stone. They could show him where they buried him and they can believe and make choices to follow him. But Jesus did what they couldn't, they couldn't do. And then after that, right after those three situations, here comes Lazarus hopping out of the tomb. He's not walking, he's hopping. Because remember, he's wrapped up like a mummy, looking like a straight up mummy, completely wrapped from head to toe. He can't, you know what I mean? I mean, he's completely like this. You know what Jesus says? He looks at Mary and Martha and those standing around. You know what he says? Now you unbind him. You walk over there and do what you can do. Because I've already done what you can't do. See, God isn't, isn't going to do what we can do. He's going to do what you and I can't, what, what we can't do. And we've got a choice to make. Are we going to do the things that, that we can do? See, we can read the word. We can worship him. We can choose to follow him. We, we, can, we can do those things. Are we going to do what we can do so that then he'll show up and do what we can't do? Men and women of, of God, here's the thing. God doesn't do it all for us. He just doesn't do it all for us because he's already did enough. He's already did enough. He already did what we couldn't do. He defeated sin and death for us. So now we've got to make the right choices and do what, do what we know the right thing to do is. He isn't going to allow us to be lazy in this process, I'm sorry. He's not going to allow you to be lazy. You're going to have to put in work. That's why Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because you're going to have to put in the work. He doesn't allow us just to pass the buck back off to him. He does what, what we can't do, but he requires us to do what we can. And every one of us can clean our own house. We can get rid of those things in our lives. You know, I can remember when the Lord saved me and set me free from heroin addiction many years ago, right? And the way God did it, it was incredible because I wasn't looking for the Lord to do anything. I'm just gonna be honest with you. God showed up to me now, I have a praying mama that prayed for me every day. But, but I remember I had just re-upped on drugs that day. And in the middle of the night, God woke me up and said, enough is enough. The enemy has had his day. And literally caused me to flush the dope down the toilet. And listen, God did that for me. You know why? Because I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't do it. I tried it, but I, I couldn't. So he gave me the strength to be able to do it in that moment. But you know what? After I woke up the next morning, guess what? I was still sick from the drugs. I still was addicted to the drugs. I still was tempted by the drugs. And I had to choose to go to rehab. Jesus didn't go to rehab for me. Jesus went to rehab with me, but not for me. I had to make those hard choices and say no. I had to stop hanging with the people that I was hanging with. I had to walk away from all of it. I had to choose when temptation come to say no. Get behind me. He strengthened me the entire time. 
but he required me to do the work too. Man, God wants us to do what we can do. We, we've got to clean house. I had to clean, I had to clean my house. I had to get rid of music. I had to get rid of books and all this different stuff that was holding me back from the things of God. And after I gave my, my life to Jesus, I didn't turn into some kind of robot. Like it wasn't like now all of a sudden all my mind, everything I thought was different. No, no, it wasn't. Like all the, the struggle and the temptation just left me. No, actually it got worse. To be honest with you, it got worse because the enemy came at me even harder then. He didn't have to mess with me before because he had me. But now I'd given my life to Christ. He don't have me. Now he's coming after me. And I had to fight and walk through the hell of it. But understanding God was fighting with me and for me the entire time. So it's not like you give your life to Christ and it's all rainbows and, and bubbles and hugs. Man, life gets tough because the enemy wants to come steal, kill, and destroy. But it was crazy, right? Because when the enemy would come to try to lay his hands on me, man, he found that there was a, a greater hand covering me, protecting me, fighting for me, and strengthening me. God doesn't do it all for us because he already did enough for us. And the truth is this, here's the truth, and this is tough, but it's true. If we find ourselves struggling in life where we are right now, and we continue to struggle in the same areas of life, and we're just saying, we're just waiting on God. We need God to do something else. Well, here's the truth. We're saying what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. He's got to do something else. He's got to do more in order to get me free. He, he's got to do more in order to get me out of this situation. He's got to do more than what he did on the cross at Calvary. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus conquered sin and death. He conquered everything that the enemy, in this life you will face trials of many kinds, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And when we do what we can do, God will do what we can't do. Come on and stand to your feet, please. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16. Do you not know that your body is a temple of God? That the spirit of God dwells in you. Simply what this is saying is you are the house of God. Us as individuals are the house of God of God. And if we as a whole want to operate in the miracle working power of God, if all of us want to operate that way together, then we've got to do it individually first. We've got to clean our house first. Each of us should be walking in a way at our house that invites the Lord to be there with us. Sunday should be an extension of every other day. It really should be. Every other day. Meaning that in your house, you're on your knees before God. In your house, you're teaching your kids about Jesus. In your house, you're worshiping Jesus. In your house, you're praying with your spouse. That should be happening in your house. So then when you come in here on Sunday, it's just what you do. This is just what we do. 
We love Jesus, we worship Jesus, we go after him every day. Every single day. It can't be that the only time you're going after Jesus is on Sunday because it isn't enough. He requires more. He requires more. And God requires us to do what we can do so that he can do what we can't do. Listen, we can't heal people. We can't save people. We can't set people free, but he can. And so we do what we can do, then he'll show up and do what only he can do. We can pursue him with everything that is within us and choose him every single day. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Yeah, Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that by your spirit, Lord, that you're strengthening in us, speaking to us, that right now by your spirit there is a clarity that is taking place of the things that you're calling us to clean out. The things, the people, places, or things that you're calling us to to remove from our lives, I pray that there would be a clarity to see exactly the things you're asking of us right now, the things we got to clean out. And Lord, I thank you that you'll strengthen us to be able to do it, that you'll walk with us while we're doing it. And Lord, I pray today that we would come and lay these things down at the altar making room for you, emptying out our lives as a living sacrifice on the altar. God, that we would lay it all before you, Jesus, and allow you to fill those places. Holy Spirit, draw each and every one closer to you. And the worship team's just gonna lead a song. We're gonna open up the altars one last song. If you've got anything you want prayer for, please come up. Because, man, we'll pray with you, believe with you, um, that God will, will help you get through whatever it is you need to get through.